So we started the ser- sermon series on You Asked For It, and uh, a few of you uh, asked me to talk about the afterlife, so we've talked about that for a, a few, and so there were a, a couple of weeks, and so there were about uh, 60 suggestions, and so I, this week I spread them out all over my desk and just kind of lined them up and try to figure out what, what should I speak on next, and uh, so they, uh, after I, you know, some of the topics I've already talked about in the last couple of years, so I, I took those aside, then there's some that was just really too simple, like like too too general, like the Bible or or God. I'm like, yeah, yeah, I kind of preach on that all the time. So set those aside. And then there were some that were just weird. So sorry if you sent in a weird one, not doing it. Uh, and then there were some more. I, I don't really understand what the question was, so I couldn't read them. Uh, that's what happens. But uh, uh, so there was about 40 left. And of those 40, I divided them into about four categories. Uh, there were a bunch. Uh, that were um, questions about current issues. Uh, then there were questions about kind of life and emotional things. And then there were biblical books. And then the fourth one, which I've already started, so I'm going to carry on. But there, they were where, where do we go when we die in, in the interim st- stage before we get resurrected. And then we looked at the resurrection already. Uh, and then there was all these other ones. Like Daniel's vision and dream interpretation and how they're linked with revelations. Uh, the end times, revelations. Uh, the spirit of Elijah in the last days. Book of Revelation. Oh, come on, third time. <laughs> uh, the signs of the times we're in. Uh, so all of that can be pretty much summed up with one word. And maybe you've heard this word, maybe not. It's eschatology. Have you heard it? Okay, you've probably been to Bible college if you heard it, or else, I don't know, somewhere you must have heard it. Eska is Greek for meaning last. And ology, what's ology? The study of, right? So it's English, so it's not too hard. Uh, so since I've already started on this subject, uh, so basically this is the study of last stuff. Okay, so that's what we're doing. We're studying last stuff. Uh, so I've already started on the subject, so I thought I'd just carry on. And um, you might be wondering why you haven't heard me preach on eschatology before. And I think this is the reason why it keeps coming up in all these suggestions, is because in 30 years, I don't think I've ever preached on it. Maybe one or two sermons in 30 years. And you're probably wondering, like, why is that, Pastor? Uh, and it's not because I don't like eschatology. I love eschatology. And I remember in the dorm room college at, at, at university, it just the discussions fighting back and forth, trying to figure out what, how, what we believe, what we stood for. Uh, I love all that. Um, but, you know, but the, I think the only sermon I've preached from Revelations was in December. Uh, other than the first three chapters, one on, uh, you know, there's a dragon in my nativity, right? That was kind of like the first one I preached. Maybe this piqued your interest in the subject. I don't really know. Uh, and, and as someone who quotes all the time, you know, all scripture is profitable and uh, useful for teaching and rebuking. Why haven't I preached in Revelation very much? Well, here's the deal. <laughs> it's really controversial. Really controversial. Uh, and uh, it's really hard to nail down the exact 
solid explanation for everything in the book of Revelation, book of Daniel, and all of this eschatological stuff. It's just hard to nail it down. And um, the thing is, I know enough about eschatology that I realize that I really don't have it nailed down well enough to preach on it. Like, it's just a huge subject. It's so complicated. And I like to come up here and give the definitive answer for what the Bible is talking about. And with eschatology, that's really hard to do. Because uh, I basically figure that I have the about the same ability to get eschatology right as the people living during Jesus' day were able to get Messianic teaching of the Old Testament right. And how did they do with that? Mm, not so good, right? They, they had all the prophecies. They had all the prophecies of the Messiah that was going to suffer and, and die for the sins of the people. They had all those prophecies in their Bible. But when it came to interpreting it, they completely missed it. They thought the Messiah was going to come only to rule and reign and completely missed the whole coming, the first coming of Jesus for the sins of the people. And so this is why I just come with to eschatology with this intrepidation. I'm just like, ah, really? How in the world am I going to get the correct understanding of this stuff when, you know, the scholars in Jesus' day, they didn't get it right and what makes us think the scholars in our day, I mean, you can turn on, you know, YouTube channels after YouTube channels on preachers talking about how Revelation is connected to all the current events today. And I've been watching that stuff since I was 10. <laughs> it still is out there and just keeps multiplying over and over. Everybody seems to have the right, you know, they believe what they're teaching. And yet I kind of go like, I have about... Zero chance of getting the right interpretation without the Holy Spirit's divine work. And that's kind of the punchline, isn't it? We need the Holy Spirit for this kind of stuff. Uh, study alone is not going to lead us to the truth on these matters. We need God's Spirit. The Bible says that currently we see as though through a glass darkly. It's talking about a mirror that's that's made out of bronze or something that you can see sort of, but not totally clear. Paul says, it is written, no eye has seen, no ear has heard, no human mind has conceived the things that God has prepared for those who love him. So there you have it. Proof positive that we could, we can't possibly know what God has prepared for those who love Him. We, we don't know what's in the future. We, we, there's no human mind that's even conceived of it. We haven't seen it. We haven't heard about it. And we ha- can't conceive it. There it is in Scripture. This is what set, this is what keeps me from preaching on this subject, right? <laughs> no wonder I have so much trouble explaining the, uh, the in-between time, you know, between when we die and when our bodies are resurrected last week. I mean, it's, it's pretty tough. The only thing is the, there's another verse after this, and it's an awesome verse. You know what the next verse says? 
the next verse says, these are the things that God has revealed to us. <laughs> so, Christians are excluded from verse 9. <laughs> we have the Spirit of God revealing stuff to us. The things that, what things are revealed to us from this verse? What God has prepared for those who love Him. That's what's being revealed to us. But then, let's, let's hear for a second the rest of it, because it doesn't end with verse 10. Look at verse 11. For who knows the person of a thought, a person's thought, except the spirit which is, which is within them? In the same way, no one knows the thoughts of God, except the spirit of God. What we have received is not the spirit of the world, but the spirit who is from God. Do you get what he's saying there? He's saying that, hey, we don't understand each other's spirit, so how in the world are we supposed to understand God's spirit? Oh, but we've received his spirit. The very spirit that knows the thoughts and plans of God we have in our hearts if we, have, we are believers in Christ. So that we may understand. <laughs> I love that. So that we might understand what God has freely given us. That is what we speak. Not in words taught by human wisdom, but words taught by the Spirit of God Himself. Explaining spiritual realities with Spirit-taught words. Isn't that amazing? The person without the Spirit does not accept these things that come from the Spirit, but God considers, but considers them foolishness and cannot understand them because they are discerned. They are, sorry, they, uh, next slide please. Yeah, they are discerned only through the Spirit. In other words, non-Christians can't understand what in the world we're talking about. Non-Christians look at the book of Revelations and just go like, what? That's mind-blowing. That's just crazy. Uh, and so, do you want to get anything out of the next bunch of sermons when you come here? Or do you want to just waste your time? <laughs> I hope you want to get something out of it. Uh, but let me tell you, that is not going to happen unless the Spirit of God transforms your mind. Unless the Spirit of God gives you understanding in this area. I mean, try to explain this stuff to non-Christians. People flying up into the air to meet God, Jesus when Jesus comes back. R- ruling with Jesus for a thousand years from Jerusalem. <laughs> a seven-headed dragon. Beasts and leopards coming out of the sea. Uh, unicorns prancing about. The mark of the beast. Jerusalem sent, descending from heaven as a 2,200-kilometer um, cube. Have you ever thought about how big that is? Let me, let me explain it to you. A 2,200-kilometer cube doesn't fit inside the sphere of the moon. The corners would stick out past the sphere of the moon. That's how big that city of Jerusalem coming down from heaven is. It's, it's absolutely enormous. How do you explain that to people? People just look at you like, that would throw the earth's balance all out of what? That can't be. This is just craziness. So, yeah. The person without the Spirit cannot accept the things that come from the Spirit of God. But considers them foolishness. And cannot understand them. So you try to explain this stuff to your non, non-believing friends, their, their minds won't accept it. They're, 
they don't, they're not regenerated by the Spirit of Christ. They cannot accept it. They cannot understand it. So, try as you will, Revelations is a closed door if you're not regenerated in Christ, if you don't have the Spirit of God. So all these future events that God prepares for us, well, they're all spiritually discerned. And if you just want me to do all the research and and you sit back and critique it and say, oh, I don't agree with that, I have this other view, blah, 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 you won't learn a thing. But if we together open ourselves to the Spirit of God and say, look, Lord, I realize that these things are spiritually discerned. We open ourselves up to His Spirit, then His Spirit's going to come along and teach us some cool stuff. And it's going to be really amazing. But it's spiritually discerned. So don't come with just your, you know, your critiquing brain. (laughs) I know mine works very well. I'm very critical. (laughs) We all do it, right? Don't come with that. Come with the Spirit of the Lord upon you. Willing to learn and willing to uh, to accept the great truths that we're going to understand. And maybe we'll get a vision of the future that you'll never forget. Maybe you'll get a vision of the future of what God has prepared for those who love Him. And maybe you'll keep... You'll be able to keep going through the tribulation that hits you because of the vision you received about what end times are all about. And maybe that will keep you talking when the beast tries to shut you up. Or maybe that will keep you witnessing until the guillotine comes down upon your neck. This is what I'm talking about. If we are taught by the Spirit, then the Spirit of God will empower us to do the impossible. Only the Spirit of God can do that, my friends. Definitely not me. So, what are we going to do? I think we should pray. (laughs) I think that's a good idea. I think that's the only way we're going to get through this. Thank you, Lord, for this book of Revelation, for the book of Daniel, Lord, for all these things that you revealed about the future to your servants. Uh, Father, we pray that you would open our eyes to the truth of your word, the realities in it, Lord. We pray that the spiritual realities of heaven and hell will grip our souls like never before. May they become as real to us as, Lord, the chairs that we're sitting on, as as this building, as our cars, as our, our physical world, Lord. May these realities become that true to us, Lord. Lord, open our eyes so that we can see into the heavenly realm, just like Stephen did when he was being murdered, Lord, and he saw you in all your glory. He saw into the heavenly realm. Lord, that's what we want to see. Lord, we want to see, uh, just like Elijah saw the host of the Lord's army surrounding the Armenians. Lord, this is the spiritual eyes that we need to open your word up to us, Lord, so that your spirit would teach us. Lord, I pray that you would, you would come upon me as I study your word, Lord, during the week, and Lord, to bring it to the, to your people on Sunday, Lord. I pray that your spirit would come on me so that I could understand these things and realize the spiritual truths and realities behind the words of the scripture. Uh, Father, open our hearts to something so much greater than we have ever known or felt. Open our hearts to the spirit of Almighty God to come and illuminate your word. 
Hallelujah. Come, Lord Jesus. Come, Lord. Give us Your mind, Lord Jesus Christ. Come upon this place and shake it. And Lord, give us a vision of the future that causes us to live the present with such passion, such determination to win the lost, to be holy, Lord, that Your name would be glorified in our lives. Only You have the words of life, Lord Jesus. Attach them to our souls, we pray. In Jesus' name. Amen. I'm wondering if someone could grab me a glass of water. My throat is just parched. (laughs) I would appreciate that. Have you ever been warned about something? You know, someone comes along and says, Hey, hey, don't do that, or be careful there, or whatever, you know. Um, I remember this one time, I was living in Maple Ridge, and I was visiting a friend in Abbotsford, and he says, I was just leaving his place, and he said, Oh, don't speed on McClure Road, because, you know, there's always cops over there. And I'm like, Oh, okay, thanks. And I head out, and I, as I go, I'm thinking, you know, I come come to Abbotsford once once every couple of months, I'm, I'm here for one day. What are the chances of the cops being on McClure Street today, right? Yeah, a very expensive lesson. <laughs> very expensive lesson learned. Thank you so much, Dave. Uh, so, warnings are pretty important, right? Oh, that's so good. Thank you. <laughs> that reminds me of going to Malawi, giving a cup of cold water in the name of the Lord. Anyways, a different subject. <laughs> uh, but you know what? We're kind of getting worn to death these days. Don't don't you find that? I mean, on every everything you buy, like any electronic item or whatever, there's like five pages of warning before they get to the actual instructions, and you're just like, come on, you know, like what in the world? <laughs> I saw this war- warning on this. Uh, uh, Batman suit, right? You know, it, it, it has this little caveat on the back. Parents, please exercise caution for play only. Mask and cape are not protective. Cape does not enable user to fly. <laughs> I'm just like, what? You know, I meant to get this photo from my, my instruction manual on my chainsaw. It's got this picture of some guy sitting on a branch and cutting the, it off from the trunk. He's sitting on the branch. He's cutting off. And I'm like, yeah, and it has this big line through it. Don't do this. I'm like, yeah, what? what in the world? Really? We need an instruction manual to tell us not to kill ourselves? Like, what in the world? I don't understand. You know, I don't know about you, but when I get to the instruction manuals and all these warnings, you know, I kind of, I, I'm kind of like Sid Phillips. You know who Sid Phillips is? He's the guy from Toy Toy Story. Check him out. Oh. You don't have it loud enough. Oh, there's no volume. Okay, well, I'll tell you what he says, because I got this memorized. (laughs) He says, extremely Extremely dangerous. dangerous. Keep out of reach of children. Cool. Am I gonna blow? Okay, so I've actually used the line from Toy Story when I was opening up uh, packages that I had got. It says, "Oh, extremely dangerous. Keep out of reach of children." Ooh, cool. You know, and uh, people looked at me like, "You're nuts, man." Uh, It's my favorite line in the movie, really. (laughs) uh, But that's my nature, right? 
we get it, we get a warning, we just go, oh come on, can't be that bad. I'm not gonna die, it's not gonna kill me. You know, this is what a couple of scientists thought while they were working at work one day. They, they thought to themselves, ah, all these warning precautions. That doesn't matter. And so when one alarm, alarm bell came on because they were trying to uh, see how slow the reactor turbines could spin in the nuclear pl- power plant that they were working in. And so they allowed it to slow down. And, and they, I wonder if it'll quit now. I wonder, I wonder, I wonder. And these two uh, uh, nuclear engineers would, were trying to figure out if it would uh, would slow down past a certain point or not. And they disregarded six warning signs, alarms going off. Instead of stopping their little experiment, they turned off the warning signs. You've probably heard of this nuclear plant. It's called Chernobyl. Those warnings have a reason. And they just went, ah, doesn't really matter. Yeah. Today, we're going to look at some real specific warnings from the Bible. Dramatic warnings from the Bible. Scary warnings. The judgments of God upon mankind. Scary, but not that scary for us, the redeemed in Christ, actually. But scary for me, at least, because of all the people I know who are not redeemed. And my responsibility over and to them that God calls me responsible for getting the message, getting the warning to them. And so I find that quite scary, that I'm responsible for people. And as Christians, we're all responsible for our neighbors, our, our friends, our, our colleagues, our schoolmates. We, we have a responsibility to give them a warning. Otherwise, yeah, they... they uh, they're going to be in trouble. Back when I was a kid, uh, in past Christian Mississippi, there was a group of, of, of people that were having a hurricane party. A hurricane party was coming, ash- or a hurricane was coming ashore. And, and they were like, yahoo, this is going to be awesome. Let's head down on the beach and, and wait for the hurricane. And, and so they had this big party in one, of the, one, one guy's apartment there on the beach in past Christian. And, uh, as the wind was howling outside and becoming stronger and stronger, uh, they, these are like posh Richelieu apartments. And a police officer came by and, and saw that there were lights on and, and honked his horn. And somebody came out in the balcony uh, with a drink and ha- having a good time. And, hey, officer, what's up? Uh, hey, you guys got to get out of here. There's That storm is coming. It's going to get incredible. It's going to blow this place apart if you're not careful. We don't know what's going to happen. you got to leave. Ah, come on. I own this place. The only way we're getting out of here is if you arrest me. Uh, and so the officer came in and actually took their names of them and their relatives and then left. He couldn't make them leave. He didn't arrest anybody that day. Um, and so he had the next of kin. The next day, at, or no, that evening at 10.15, when the storm front came ashore, scientists clocked Camille's wind speed at more than 330 kilometers an hour. <laughs> 300. Oh, man. The strongest winds on record. 
raindrops hit with the force of bullets. And the, the waves of the Gulf Coast crested between 22 and 28 feet high. Okay, so that's about as high as this building. Okay, these are the waves. <laughs> News reporter later showed the worst damage came to a little settlement of motels, go-go bars, gambling houses known as, you guessed it, past Christian. Some 20 people were killed that day. There was only one survivor, a five-year-old boy who was clinging to a mattress, found clinging to a mattress the next day. When they came and looked, there was only the foundation left of this party house. There was nothing else left. Completely gone. And I don't care how many stories, you know, there was 50 stories like this I could have told you from the internet, you know. I don't care how many stories we tell about this kind of stuff. We still don't like warnings, do we? Well, maybe I need to speak for myself. I don't like them. I still go, that's for other people. Uh, But we certainly don't like the warnings of the Bible, do we? We like to hear about God, the merciful God. God, the God who is full of mercy and compassion. But this God who is angry and vengeful and, and judges and righteous, who judges sin? Oh, pastor, we don't, we don't want to hear about it. Preach about something nice. All the time. We don't like to hear about God damning people for eternity into hell. Conscious torment forever and ever. Oh, pastor, you trying to scare us? Don't try to manipulate us with all that scary stuff. That's exactly what those people in past Christian thought about the police officer, isn't it? Don't try to scare us with all that stuff. We're not going to scare that easy. That's what those nuclear scientists in Chernobyl thought, didn't they? Ah, all these warnings. Just silly. But God is a God who warns. And if unheeded, He brings judgment upon people. You don't get too far into the Bible before you start reading about God's judgment. I mean, I mean, it's only the third chapter. <laughs> and God is judging sin. God judging Adam and Eve for disobeying Him. By the time you get to the fourth chapter, God is judging Cain for his, his killing of his brother. By the time you get to the sixth chapter, you got the whole world getting flooded by God's judgment. By the eleventh chapter, uh, people are trying to reach out to the heavens to, to declare themselves God, we think, and, and God judges them and sends them all over the world. And my goodness, by the time you get to the next book, there's these ten plagues that God's wrath just pours out on Egypt for enslaving His people. Ten horrible plagues against Egypt and its gods. I mean, then you get the whole rest of the Old Testament. It's just like one judgment after another. You know, the people sin, God judges them. They repent, God brings them back, gives them peace, brings them a deliverer. They sin again, God judges them again. And over and over and over. It's just like, oh, this is getting monotonous. You read through the book of Kings, Second Chronicles, Second Chronicles. It's all like that. God is a God of justice, the psalmist says. A scepter of justice will be the scepter of your kingdom, the psalmist writes. Jesus said, the Father judges no one, but has entrusted all of his judgment to the Son. Praise God for that. (laughs) Jesus alone, the book of Revelation says, is worthy to open the scrolls. He alone. 
This week, someone emailed me, and, and they asked me, uh, based on last week's sermon, they said, so if people die now, and then they go to heaven, and some go to hell, then when they're resurrected, and then you have the great judgments of God, why, why do you have a judgment when they're already in heaven or hell? Like, that doesn't really make sense to me. Like, how does that work? So I gave him an off-the-top-of-my-head conclusion to that, and then then decided, after looking at all those papers on my desk, I decided, okay, I'm going to preach on this. I'm going to talk about the judgments. And so we're going to figure out this conundrum. Like, why in the world do you have judgments if already people are in, in their prospective places before we get there? So that's where today's subject came from. Uh, before we get to what's called the Great White Throne Judgment, it just sounds ominous, doesn't it? It's found in Revelation chapter 20. Before we get there, the only way to understand it is if we back up and look at some of the other judgments. Some of the other judgments that have happened since the Old Testament times. Okay? Um, so in that final judgment, both the great, it says that everyone, both great and small, will stand before the throne. So in other words, all of the dead, uh, it talks about the dead being raised up from the bottom of the ocean, from wherever. They're all going to be standing before the God in their resurrected bodies, whether they're, they've been uh, sinners or saints or whoever, everybody. Everybody's included, great and small, it says. Um, will stand before the eternal God of the universe for their judgment. But there's a junk, bunch of judgments that happen before that faithful day that help us understand what happens on that day. Okay, And so the greatest of these judgments, uh, very powerful judgment that is, has already happened, actually. And you might not be aware of this, but I hope you are. Uh, see, that judgment was for the sins of all the believers in the world. All of their sins were being judged that day. And it's already happened. Because the judgment fell on someone who was willing to take the judgment. Jesus Christ himself. And when he was dying on the cross, the judgment and wrath of God was being poured out against all sin of all time of all the people of God. And God was judging all that sin at that time on the back of Jesus Christ. And he took it. Isaiah prophesied of this judgment. Surely he took up our our pain and bore our sufferings, yet we considered him punished by God, stricken by him and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was on him, and by his wounds we are healed. The Lord laid on him the iniquity of us all. He was oppressed and afflicted and did not open his mouth, like one led to the, the, the slaughters. The, the lamb doesn't open his mouth. The sheep before the shearers is silent, so he did not open his mouth. By oppression and judgment he was taken away. Yet who in his generation protested? For he was cut off from the land of the living. For the transgressions of my people he was punished. This is the wrath and judgment of God, my friends, being poured out on Jesus Christ, prophesied 700 years earlier. It was the Lord's will to crush him and cause him to suffer. And though the Lord makes his life an offering for sin, he will see his offspring and prolong his days. My righteous servant will justify many, and he will bear their iniquities. He bore the sin of many and made intercession for the transgressors. 
Wow. God's judgment fell that day on Mount Calvary. The Bible says he suffered death so that by the grace of God he might taste death for everyone. Because our sins were judged on the cross, the Bible says there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Can I hear that? Hallelujah. Amen. Hallelujah. Hey? There is no condemnation. The judgment has already happened. It's already been done. And there's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Hallelujah. Praise the Lord. That's what's so awesome about the judgments of God, is that they happen. One of them has already happened. Uh, It's a done deal. Hallelujah. What a Savior. So that's the basis of the fact that Christians go directly to the presence of the Lord. That there's so many passages. Remember all those passages we talk about that say we go directly? It's because the judge, we've already gone through the judgment of God. It's already taken place. It's already covered. And so Christians who believe in Jesus Christ, who have faith, their sins are not judged. Because they've already been judged. And they go directly into the presence of God. This doesn't mean that there's no judgment whatsoever for Christians, okay? So just hang on, you think you got away (laughs) scot-free? Not quite, okay? The Bible says that God disciplines those he loves. You can read about it in in, uh, Hebrews 12 if you want. I I don't have time to go there. Um, But basically, he makes a distinction between us and the world. When we are judged, in Corinthians it says, this way by the Lord, in other words, as discipline, for the children that he loves, like a father disciplining his kids. When we're judged this way by the Lord, we are being disciplined so that we will not be finally condemned with the world. So God is in this process of of making us pure. And so sometimes he throws a little judgment into our life to get us back on track. Okay? The Revelation says, those whom Christ loves, he chastens. And so now we come to the judgments that will come will happen in the future. So the first judgment is the judgment of this world with the wrath of God. And if you want a, a detailed description of those judgments, just look at Revelations chapter 4 or 6 through 16. Ten chapters. It's just horrible. It's just, I mean, there's terrible judgments. Seven seals are opened, seven trumpets blown, seven bowls of God's wrath are poured out. And it's going to be a terrible place, a terrible time to live through on the face of the earth. You think you think that COVID was bad? <laughs> you ain't seen nothing yet. These plagues are horrible. This is God's judgment on an unbelieving world for rejecting Him and rejecting Jesus Christ as a Savior and rejecting His commands. And it's going to be horrible. And after that, we get this other judgment. It's called the judgment seat of Christ. Okay, maybe you've seen this. Um, this came, comes in the same passage that talks about uh, being away from the body is to be home with the Lord. And in the end of that passage, it says, we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ so that each of us may receive what is due us for the things what, that were done in the body, whether good or bad. Now, this is not talking about the sins we have done. This is talking about our ministry, our good deeds, or maybe bad deeds, you know, things you didn't do, so you, you don't get any credit for that. When we are when we are resurrected before the rapture that I talked about last week, 
Um, believers in, go to heaven. Now, we're not sure if they are judged in this regard right away or whether this this bema seat, that's the word that's used in, in 1 Corinthians, will happen at the same time as the great white throne judge. This is one of those things where I've been scratching my head all week and I can't figure it out. So either we're judged right away when we die, when we get to heaven at Christ's bema seat, uh, or it's the same as the great white throne judgment and it's all happening at once. At the end of the thousand year reign of Christ. So this, this, where Christ judges his saints and gives them crowns or not happens sometime between when we die. <laughs> no, sometime, sorry, after the rapture or it's the same as the great white throne, uh, Judgment at the end of the thousand year reign. So before or after the, the thousand year reigns of Christ. Okay? So in the city of Corinth, they actually had a bema seat. You see, the emperor would come to Corinth at the, uh, Ithian Games, the festival of athletic contests. And they, basically like the Olympic Games. And at the end of each context, the athletes would be, would appear before a large and greatly orient, decorated, uh, throne. And the emperor would hand out accolades or not to the athletes. And this was called Bema Seat. Huh, funny about that. Paul is writing to the Corinthians, they know all about this thing. And it's he calls it the Bema Seat of Christ. It's the great throne judgment of Christ. Uh, if you look in uh, first Corinthians, in chapter 3, you have uh, this fact that our works that we do, whether they be, they're, they're compared to gold, silver, and precious stones, or wood, hay, and stubble, right? And there's this difference. The wood, hay, and stubble is going to get burned up. But they will be saved as though passing through the flames, it says. So there is this judgment on God's people that either rewards them with crowns or they barely make it, and everything that they've been building their Christian life with gets burned up, and they, it's like they get in by the skin of their teeth. So some Christians are just like, well, it's fine with me, I just want to get in, I don't really care. But other Christians are like, no, I want to serve the one who died for me, and I want to serve him faithfully, and I want to build my life with gold, silver, and precious stones to serve him faithfully. The Bible says that he is not unjust. He will not forget your work and love that you've shown him. God remembers all that you do for him. And while in this life you might get terrible return for your work, you might be scorned, you might be ridiculed, you might be judged, but in the hereafter you will receive a crown that far outshines every trial that you've ever gone through. So, as I said, I'm not sure if... Uh, I've, I've completely run out of time. Oh, my goodness. What am I going to do? Okay, just going to go through it quick. So, I'm, I'm just going to read the Great White Throne Judgment, okay? Uh, there's a lot of stuff I'd love to say about it, but I just don't have time, okay? So, then I saw a great white throne and him who seated on it. And the earth and the heavens fled from his presence. In other words, earth and sky just doesn't matter in this throne room of Christ. Uh, there was no place for them. 
And I saw the dead, great and small, standing before the throne, and the books were opened. Okay, these books that are open, these are recordings of every evil deed that anyone's ever done. But another book was opened, which is the book of life. And the dead were judged according to what they were done as recorded in the books. Okay, that's the first set of books. Okay? The dead, uh, the sea gave up the dead that were in it. The death and Hades gave up the dead that were in them. I could preach a whole sermon on death and Hades and what that really means. I don't have time. So each person was judged according to what they had done. Then death and Hades were thrown into the lake of fire. The lake of fire is the second death. Anyone whose name was not found written in the book of life was thrown into the lake of fire. Because guess what? Those books that contain all of the, the sins of all the people who, who weren't judged on the day when Christ died on Mount Calvary, their sins weren't judged there. They still have all their sins recorded in the book. And they will be judged according to that. And guess what? Not one of them makes it into the book of life. They're all condemned. This is what Jesus depicts in his, his uh, uh, depiction of the, the sheep and the goats being separated on the last day. If your name is written in the book of life, your judgment is already passed. So why does God wait for, for this time? We're not sure what exactly happens to the evil dead. We're not sure if they, their spirits go somewhere for holding or if they soul sleep. Or The Bible just really doesn't say. But we know when they are resurrected at the end of the thousand-year reign, they face the judgment of God. The Bible says, it is appointed on a man once to die and after this the judgment. It's pretty scary. It's the Holy Spirit's job using you and I to convict the world of sin and guilt and punishment. And he does that. You know, when I was 20 years old, uh, during March and April that year, there were these park rangers and seismologists that were going around lower uh, Washington State, warning people, you got to leave this area. This area is too dangerous. There's seismic activity that's happening. you got to get out of here. You have to leave. And the authorities went to Her- Henry Randall Truman's place dozens of times. I think we have a picture. He's the owner, owner and, and caretaker of Mount St. Helens Lodge at Spirit Lake. You can see how far away Mount St. Helens is. It's like a long ways away. Uh, he survived the sinking of his troop ship by German torpedoes during Second World War. Doesn't he look like a likable, nice guy? I mean, he's a really nice guy. Uh, and he said this to the reporters that came and talked to him. I don't have any idea whether it will blow, but I don't believe it to the point that I'm packing up. And he refused to leave his beloved lodge. Uh, well, on May 18th of that year, back in 1980... I was 20 years old. Yes, back then. I'm very old. <laughs> I and my friends were driving dune buggies around Mount Cham. Mount Cham is in Canada. It's like on the other side of the state of Washington, okay? The other side of the state, 555 kilometers away. And we're having a campfire, and we're cooking up some bacon for breakfast. And all of a sudden, we hear this, boom! 
Like, and we're like, whoa, that dude we were talking to is bear hunting. He's got a huge gun. What in the world, man? He must have got his, his bear or something. We we're just like, whoa, that was loud. It was Mount St. Helens blowing up 555 kilometers away. You know how far away that is? That's like London, Ontario, folks. And we heard the blast as loud as a, as a shotgun shell being shot a few meters away. It was unbelievable. Well, unfortunately, Mr. Truman's place, his whole lodge, everything, was buried under 150 feet of mud, and his body was never found. They have a, here's Mount St. Helens, before and after pictures. Unbelievable. The whole top of the mountain blew. There's never been anything like it. Mr. Truman was warned multiple times. Multiple times. The eruption of Mount St. Helens wasn't a sudden event. But it kind of came like a thief in the night. They didn't know exactly when it was coming. But they could see the signs. They knew it was coming. My friends, the end is coming. The judgments are coming. It will happen in your lifetime. And I know this because you either will live to see it or you'll die and then you'll experience it. So it doesn't really matter whether it happens in your lifetime or at the very end of your life. You're going to see it. You're going to experience it. Most of you have heard of Babe Ruth. But you've, have you ever heard of Babe Pinelli? Babe Pinelli was the umpire at one of the games. Okay? And, um, and Babe Ruth was up to bat. And he and the pitcher sent a pitch across the plate, and the umpire called it a strike. And babe, and the whole the whole place erupted in cheer, booze, and that was you know they're all like, yeah, it's a ball, it's a ball, you know, everyone was upset. And Babe Ruth turns to the the umpire and he says, Hey, Babe, uh, you know, forty thousand people saw that as a ball. And the emperor says, well, well, only my opinion counts today. (laughs) Only my opinion counts today. There might be thousands, millions of people that don't believe in the judgments of God. But guess whose opinion counts? God himself. And so, my friends, let's warn people. (laughs) Let's not pretend this isn't real. This is real. As real as it can be. There's one other judgment I haven't talked about. It's found in 1 Corinthians 11. And it says that we need to judge ourselves. Otherwise, the Lord will judge us. And it's in regard to this meal. There's a judgment attached to this meal. That if we eat this meal thinking about what Jesus Christ did for our sins, then it's fine. If you're a believer in Christ, you can eat this meal. But the Bible says that if we don't judge ourselves and understand whether or not we are viewing Christ, then he will judge us. And that's why some of the Corinthians were sick and some of them had died. Because they were eating without concern for the Lord's body. And so I'd like us to just take a moment before we, we eat this, and I'd like to ask the communion stewards if they would come at this time. And let's just bow before the Lord and just recommit to him that this, what he did, when he took the judgment of God and God's wrath upon sin, that he did it for you and for me.